But I'm actually here to continue our kind of summer mini-series of looking at who God is. We're taking different aspects and different characteristics of God, and we're seeing what it tells us about him and how we're to live uh, in light of that. And so this morning, we're going to be looking um, at who God is by looking in a passage in the Old Testament called Hosea. And we're going to see how God is our Redeemer. And I believe, look at that, you've even got a title up there. God is our Redeemer. And we're looking at Hosea this morning. And I have a feeling that there'll be many of us here this morning, even if you've been part of the church for... um, quite a long time, maybe you know your Bible quite well, but you might not know uh, this book, Hosea. I'd just like to do a quick poll across the room. If you have read all of the book of Hosea, please just raise your hand now. That's not bad. Maybe a third of the room, I reckon, third of the room have read the book of Hosea. Um, But there is still a lot of us here this morning who are going to be saying, I have no idea what this book is about. Maybe I've read it uh, a bit of it once or twice in, in, in the past, but I don't really know what this is about. Um, and you're going to be saying, so this, I don't know what to do with this. So this morning we're going to look at Hosea, and the reason we're going to look at this book is because the whole of the Bible reveals who God is. The whole of the Bible says it's breathed out by God, and it is profitable, and it is good for teaching and showing us how to live in light of who God is. So we're going to look at this obscure book in the Old Testament of Hosea because it still has God speaking to us and showing who he is. And we're going to see how God is our redeemer. And we're going to look at this book to understand this wonderful aspect of the gospel, the good news of what God has done for his people. We're going to understand these terms as redeemer or even redemption Not so that we can just say, hey, I've learned a new big word for today. Hey, Christian word for today. Redemption. Do you know what that means? Because I do. That's not the point of this morning, okay? The point this morning is that when you're here and you're on a Sunday morning and we're singing songs which have words like, my redeemer lives or he is my redemption, he's my redeemer, that actually we understand what that means. Or when you're at home alone and you pick up a Bible and you flick open to places like Ephesians chapter 1 or Colossians chapter 1 where it says, in him we have redemption, we can know what that means. That we understand the powerful picture which this word provides us with. That we, we know it means more than simply, oh look, God saved you. But instead, it demonstrates why and how God has saved you in such a rich and amazing way. If you trust Jesus with all your life. So that's the goal this morning. Okay, That's what we're aiming to achieve. And we're looking at this book of Hosea, which if you got one of our church red Bibles, I don't know if anyone has, but it's on page 900. But if you don't, don't panic. And if you can't find it in your Bible, because it's quite a short book at the end of the Old Testament, don't panic, because it will come up on the screen behind me. And hopefully it will be large enough for people to read it. Um, But before we delve into the passage itself, I want to put it in some kind of context. Because I'm aware that there'll be some of you here thinking, Hosea, do you know what I thought, Jack? You made that word up when you said it. I've never heard of it before. I don't know what it's about. Some of you might be here and you're going, look, I'm just here to visit um, and see my friend get baptized a little bit later on, Tom and Kusi. And, and do you know what? This might even be the first time you step foot in a church and you're thinking, I don't even know the general story of the Bible, let alone a weird guy called Hosea. Um, 
So I want to put this in some context, first of all. I want to give you the overall, overarching story to show you where this fits in today that we're going to talk about. So first of all, the Bible splits into two parts, okay? There's the start, it's the Old Testament, and then a bit later on, quite unoriginally, there's one called the New Testament, kind of what you expect. And Hosea's in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is this story of God dealing with his people, specifically a nation called Israel, And in the beginning, right at the start of time, God creates the universe and the world and everything in it, and it was good. And in it, he placed human beings who were made like him. The Bible says they were the image of God. But humans thought, do you know what? I don't want to follow God. I don't want to do what he says. I don't want to follow him and live life his way. I want to do things my way. I want to do things the way I want to do it. I don't want to follow God. And so they rebelled against him. They went their own way. And that's a problem which caused all sorts of issues. But it's a problem which God says, I have a solution for. And a few chapters later, God says, I'm going to fix this problem. I'm going to fix the broken world from humans rebelling against me, which now has death, sin, and evil in it, even though it's not supposed to. I'm going to fix this because I'm going to call a man. And he goes to this guy, Abraham. He called this bloke. And God says to Abraham, that Abraham, it's by you and your family that I'm going to bless the whole world. I'm going to save the whole world. And he says that someone in Abraham's family will come and one day bring peace and justice back to this earth. And the whole world will be renewed and it will no longer be broken due to human rebellion. And then the rest of the Bible follows this story with Abraham and his family. And you see family trees. In Genesis, it goes through this guy called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then they, as a family, go off traveling. They end up in Egypt. And there they become slaves to the Egyptian nation. And then God sets them free in what's called the Exodus. And then after this, they get back to their little patch of land called Israel. They set up camp. And they're kind of there for most of the rest of the story. And while they are in Israel, uh, they decide to get a king, and his name is Saul, and uh, he does an all right job. And then some few other kings follow him, guys called David and Solomon, and they do a pretty good job at leading the empire. But then it all goes belly up once again. Um, A new king comes in, and because of a ridiculously stupid decision that he makes, the whole nation ends up splitting in two. They divide, they disagree, it becomes two separate camps. There's like the northern camp and the southern camp. And the northern camp's called Israel and the southern one's called Judah. Now the reason we care about this story in the Old Testament and this family and following this nation is because God's promise, the hope of the whole world, was given through this guy, Abraham, and his family that they will bless all the nations. So the hope of the world rests on these people. And when it splits and it goes wrong, it's a huge tragedy because that hope looks like it's almost gone. The world's never going to be made right. And it's into that time which Hosea is speaking about and what we're looking at today. 
Now understand that what I've said has kind of been a thousand miles an hour and it can be quite hard to take in, especially if it's your first time of kind of hearing that story. But we're dealing with this nation which God has given a promise that he will restore the whole world to its rightful place and how it's meant to be. And so Hosea is speaking into this world where it's split into two. There's the north tribe and there's the south tribe. And the north tribe is in complete and utter rebellion against God. They're not doing things the way God says to do them. And the southern bit, they had their good moments, but they also have their bad moments. And it's into that which we have Hosea. And we're looking at chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Hosea, son of Beeri, great name, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So they're the kings of the northern part of the kingdom. And during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. That's the, uh, sorry, wrong way around. The other ones were the kings of the southern bit, and these are the kings of the northern bit. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go take yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery departing from the Lord. Now that might have got your attention. He says, Go and marry someone who's an adulterer. He essentially says, Hey, Hosea, go and marry a prostitute. Now, what? Because that's what Israel is doing to me. God says, it is like I am married to a prostitute. She sleeps around. She worships other gods all the time. She goes off to other people. It's like being married to a hooker. To to someone who is constantly going off with other men rather than spending time with me. Hosea, he says, I want you to understand what I am going through, what it's like for me. So go and marry a prostitute. And then verse 3. So he married Gomer, daughter of Deblame, and she conceived and bore him a son. Hosea is obedient. He says, whoa, strange prophecy, but I'll go off and do that. Now, I have to say, every church meeting I've ever been to, we've had quite nice prophecies. I've ne- I'm yet to turn up at a church service where someone goes... I just feel like God's saying there's someone here who needs to marry a prostitute, okay? And if that happens, I imagine we'll unplug the microphone pretty quick and move on. But Hosea hears this and he goes, yes, that is the voice of God, so I'm going to obey. So he married Goma, daughter of Deblame. She conceived and bore him a son. And then the Lord said to Hosea, call him Jezreel which means judgment, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. God's saying, it's not going to be much longer, and then I'm going to destroy the kingdom of Israel. The northern bit, it will be gone. Game over. That's it. Verse 5. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel, Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter, second child. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call her Lo-Rumah, which means no love or no mercy. For I will no longer show love to the house of Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet, Yet I will show love to the house of Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, 
but by the Lord their God. God's saying, Hosea, you're going to have two kids with this prostitute wife. The first one's going to be called Jezreel because I'm going to have judgment. Israel is going to be judged. And the second one, you're going to call her no mercy because I am not going to show love or mercy to Israel in the north. I'm just not. And, and yet, I am going to show love and mercy to the, the southern part, to Judah, because I'm going to rescue them. And I'm going to rescue them without using an army or any military means, uh, but I am going to save them another way, which I haven't told you about. And after she had weaned Lo Rumah, so no mercy, terrible name. Anyone who's pregnant here and you're thinking, what shall I call my child? Don't call them that, terrible name. But Goma had another son, third child. And the Lord said, call him Lo Ami, which means not my people. And for you are not my people and I am not your God. That sounds pretty final to me. But, verse 10, yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will be reunited and they will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land for great will be the day of Jezreel. So this means that even though God is still through all of this, through all of the horrible things that they've been through, God says, I'm still going to keep my promises He says, I will get all people from across the world. They will come together and they will come under one leader. There will be one king. And then you've got chapter 2, verse 1. Say of your brothers, my people, and of your sisters, my loved ones. I'm making noises. Um, He says, say to your brothers, my people, and of your sister, my loved one. This is God showing he still truly loves his people. He says, I'm going to put a stop to all the wrong things that Israel have done. But really, I want my people to turn away from that, to turn from those wrong things and to turn to me, come back to me. He says, Hosea, go and plead with them to come back to me. Is that better? We're there? Okay. Sorry about that. So he says, return, go and plead with them, return to me. So we then get to two. Rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face and the unfaithfulness from between her breasts. Otherwise, I will strip her naked and make her bare as the day she was born. I will make her like a desert, turn her into a parched land and slay her with thirst. I will not show her my love to her children because they are children of adultery. Their mother has been unfaithful and she has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go to my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. Therefore, I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so that she cannot find her way. She will chase after her lovers, but not catch them. She will look for them, but not find them. Now, this is really hard reading, okay? And I understand it's a difficult passage to read, but it's this big metaphor of God saying that this nation of Israel is like an adulterous prostitute who's married to this guy. And this guy, he's faithful to her. 
but she most definitely is not faithful to him. She's going off and she's sleeping with any guy who comes anywhere near her. And it's this picture of what God's people are doing to him. They're supposed to be married to God, if you like, worshipping him alone. But instead, they're going off to other nations and worshipping other gods And they were building altars to foreign gods. They were making sacrifices to them. And God says, the only way that I can convey how dreadful and how bad and how painful this is by demonstrating it with a prostitute and a man being married. God says, Hosea, show them how bleak this situation is. How terrible what they're doing really is. How poorly they've treated me. Appeal to them, asking them to return to me, to renew their marriage vow to me. And he says, then she will say, I will go back to my husband as at first. For then I was better off than now. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine, the oil, who lavished her with silver and gold. And when they, which they used for Baal, that's just the name for other gods. Therefore, I will take away my grain when when it ripens and my new wine when it's ready. I will take back my wool and my linen intended to cover her nakedness. So now I will expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers. No one will take her out of my hands. I will stop all her celebrations, her yearly feasts, her new moons, her Sabbaths, all appointed uh, feasts. I will ruin her vines and her fig fig trees which she said were her pay from her lovers i will make them a thicket and wild animals will devour them i will punish her for the days she burned incense to the bars she decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after lovers but she forgot me declares the lord now you're really glad you came this morning that is a really cheerful passage no it's not it's incredibly bleak It is the piling up, the growing and ever building judgment against a nation, a people who have rejected their God. But you need to understand this and realize how bleak this is so that we can make sense of what happens next. Because the people have rebelled. They've been idolatrous, promiscuous. They've been downright awful. But God is going to judge them for that. But he says in verse 14, therefore, I'm now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak to her tenderly. There I will give her back her vineyards. I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and you will no longer call me master. He says, I'm calling back this adulterous wife, because I love her. Even though everything in me has judgment for her, I'm going to call her back. I'm going to give her another chance because I love her. And the question we're left with is how? How does that work? If, if you have an adulterous wife like this, who's going off and sleeping with other men, What's going to stop her from doing it again? Anyone who has had the, the real tragedy, the misfortune of a relationship breaking down because of something like this, you'll know the question better than I do or anyone else. If I trust you again, 
How do I know it won't come back to hurt me? Do I give this person another shot? Because if I do, I may very well get hurt again. That's the sort of question we're left with here. How is God going to make this relationship work? How will he make his people lie down in safety and justice and faithfulness and love? We skip on and the answer is in Hosea chapter 3. And these are the last five verses that we will look at this morning. We'll spend the next 10 minutes just looking at these. He says in 3 verse 1, The Lord said to me, Go show love to your wife again. God says, Hosea, you have now experienced what it's like for me. Your wife has had your children and yet she slept around with a whole host of other men. And you've seen that and you know what it is to have your heart broken when someone isn't committed to you. And, and you plead with her to come back, but she won't listen. You know what it's like to be in my shoes, but go to her again. Go show your love to your wife again. Though she's loved by another and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love sacred raisin cakes. Forget about the raisin cakes. There's nothing wrong with a toasted tea cake or a hot cross bun. Okay, There's nothing evil about that, but... What it was is it was something which they would do while worshipping false gods. Okay, So it's a sign of people who have abandoned the real God and gone after false gods. And he says, return to this woman who has been unfaithful. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethek of barley. You see, her promiscuity, her adultery and her prostitution had caused her to end up in slavery. She had become enslaved. And God says, Hosea, go to her again. I know she's betrayed you. I know she's done everything wrong and she's kind of got what's coming to her. But I want you to display some of my love for my people. And you go to her again. You buy her out from her slavery, rescue her and make her your wife again. She doesn't deserve it. She's betrayed you. She's cheated on you often. But I want you to go back to her. Take her from slavery and into relationship with you. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethek of barley Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man and I will live with you. Don't be faithless to me. Instead, be faithful as I am faithful to you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice, sacred stones, without ephod or idol. Afterwards, the Israelites will return. They will seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. Now, I realize that may just have been the longest Bible passage we have ever read in one sitting at this church. But it, it's this, we need to understand this awful, dreadful 
horrific situation of the nation and how God says to Hosea, this ordinary guy, go marry a prostitute. She'll sleep around and then after a bit she'll leave you and you'll go back to her. You'll buy her out of slavery and say, I am still committed to you. And when we see this um, and we see Hosea do this, it's actually a glimpse of the dramatic faithful love of God for his people it's a dramatic faithful love of God for his people so what Hosea does and where he goes out and he buys Homer out of her slavery that is what's called redemption that's redemption it's when somebody who has resources goes out and puts them on the line to liberate someone who doesn't have the resources. And they rescue them from captivity, poverty, slavery, oppression. That's what redemption is. So the redeemer is the person who sees someone who's in trouble and says, I see that they're in trouble, they're destitute, they're lost, they're broken, they're enslaved. So I'm going to put my resources on the line and I'm going to save you and I'm going to liberate you out of your bleak situation and into freedom. That's what Hosea does to Goma. She's a slave. She deserves to be a slave. She's slept around. She's done it with everyone and anyone she could have. She ended up enslaving herself and Hosea goes to her And he says, I will set you free. I will draw you to myself. I will pay the price. I will put my possessions on the line to bring you back from the situation that you're in and into freedom. And you see this all throughout the Bible in loads of different situations. You see it in Genesis when a guy called Abraham puts his life on the line by going into battle to redeem Lot from his bleak situation of captivity. You see it in the book of Ruth when a guy called Boaz puts his possessions on the line to redeem Ruth from her oppression of poverty. You see it when God himself does it in the Exodus and he sees his people enslaved in Egypt. So he says, I'm going to go out and I'm going to put my power on the line to redeem them from slavery. I'm going to put my resources at their disposal so that they can get free. That's what redemption means. And it's this stunning image of what Jesus has actually done for his people by the cross. It's exactly what God has done through his son Jesus for us. It may seem strange, but what happens at the cross is almost exactly what Hosea does for Gomer. God looks at his people. He says, they have rejected me, rebelled against me. They've gone off after chasing other things than me. They've put every other thing ahead of me in their life. You've metaphorically and even often gone and you've slept around and yet I'm still going to come after you. I'm going to put my resources on the line to set you free from your slavery of sin. And the thing with God is he doesn't just put possessions on the line, but he puts the ultimate possession on the line, his son, Jesus. The father says, I will put my son on the line. And Jesus says, I am willing to go and I will put my life on the line to rescue my people from their captivity and slavery to sin. I will redeem them. 
So when we read things in our Bible, in the New Testament, in Ephesians 1, where it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. What it means is that in Jesus, in trusting him, in following him with your life, you have freedom from the captivity which you deserve for all the wrong things you've done in your life. Because of Jesus' perfect life, which was given up for us by the shedding of his blood on that cross, we now have freedom from the hold sin has over us. That's what this long picture of a man and his prostitute wife is all about. It's saying that if you're in Christ today, then Jesus at the cross was put forward as a way of redeeming you, of setting you free from the captivity you deserve to be in. God sacrificed his most precious resource to set you free. That's redemption. That's what it means to say God is our redeemer. And God buys us back from our self-imposed captivity and slavery just because he loves us. Just as Isaiah goes and buys back Goma from slavery because he loves her. Now, I know that redemption, as the Bible puts it, is a really difficult thing to try and explain. Because we don't really have slavery like they had back then where you could just buy and sell people in possession and buy them out. Uh, And it's really hard for us to picture it. But I think a helpful illustration of this can be taken from the film Taken. I don't know if anyone here has seen that film Taken with Liam Neeson. If you've seen it, put your hand up. Yeah, yeah, there's a few people who've seen it. Um, I'm not It's extremely violent, I have to say. I'm not advocating that everyone goes out and watches it, but it is violent. But I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was, I really enjoyed it. I'm going to move on now because I think actually in it, there is this vivid picture which can really help us understand what it is for God to redeem his people. And what happens in that film is that Liam Neeson's daughter goes on holiday and she's in Paris And what happens is she's there with a friend and they get taken, captured and put into sex slavery. And there is this initial scene where she realises, she sees her friend get captured and taken away. And she realises that they're now coming for her. And she gets on the phone and she speaks to her dad over the phone, Liam Neeson, who's an ex-CIA agent. And she's on the phone she's going, I don't know what to do. They're coming for me. And he calmly tells her where to go. He tells her to move through the building, find somewhere, get underneath something and hide. And she gets in and she gets into this room and she's hiding under the bed and she's there and she's going they're they're getting closer they're getting closer and he goes honey listen to me I can't do a Liam Neeson impression (laughs) honey listen to me the next thing is really important they will take you and it's at that moment there that there's a sudden the screen goes black she is taken and you just see the phone on the floor and you just see a hand pick it up can hear the guy breathing at the other end and it cuts to Liam Neeson and he says this I don't know who you are (laughs) this is dramatic (laughs) he says I don't know who you are I don't know what you want if you're looking for a ransom I can tell you I don't have any money But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills that I have acquired over a very long career. 
skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. Thank thank you. I should have been an actor. But as you... What we're seeing here in that is that we're going, this is a father who is going to go to every extent possible to set his daughter free. I'm going to find you. I am going to kill you. I will put my life at risk and I will not stop until she is free. And it's that same commitment which God has for us. He says to our captors of Satan, sin and death, not people, but Satan, sin and death. He says to you, I know exactly who you are. I know exactly what you want. I have a very particular set of skills. I will find you. I will kill you. And there is nothing you can do until my people have been set free. And then in the film of Taken, after an hour of incredible violence, which I won't act out, there is this amazing dramatic scene at the end where Liam Neeson kicks open the door. It swings open. He sees a guy standing there with his daughter in one arm, knife round her neck. And he doesn't even think about it. He pulls out the gun, squeezes the trigger, puts a bullet straight between his eyes. And as the guy drops dead, his daughter runs into his arms. And she grabs hold of him. And she says, I can't believe you came for me. And all he does is he closes in even tighter to his daughter. And he says, I told you I would. I told you I would. And those of us who have encountered redemption of Jesus Christ, we can look at the cross and resurrection of Jesus. We can encounter with God and we can say, I can't believe you came for me. And God simply stands there, arms open wide, embraces us closely and says, I told you I would. I said I wouldn't stop until I set you free. I said to Satan, sin and death, I will find you, I will kill you and I put a bullet it between their eyes and I came for you. God by the cross has destroyed Satan's sin and death's hold over his people. That's redemption. That's the freedom we have if we trust in Jesus Christ and it requires a response. That's why the two guys this morning are going to be getting baptized. It's because they have encountered the redemption of Jesus Christ and they've said, I can't believe you came for me. And so they want to encounter and to embrace and to run into his arms. And they're going to do that by they're taking a step of obedience and getting baptized this morning. And we're going to respond together as a people. I want to ask if the band can come up and start setting up and tuning and doing whatever they do. Because we're going to go together now and we're going to sing a song about this wonderful redemption that we have in Jesus Christ where he has brought us free from the slavery of sin and death. Those who were once enslaved by spiritual death can now be free because of Jesus. The people who were held captive are free because of Jesus Christ, our saviour, our redeemer. 
We have been freed. We have been forgiven. We can walk the rest of our days hand in hand with our Father in heaven. And that actually it goes beyond that into a new heavens and a new earth where we will stand and there will be no more sin. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sickness because one day we'll be fully redeemed when Jesus comes back. And we will stand and we will say, I can't believe you came for me. And he says, I told you I would. Amen. Amen. Everything one day will be fully redeemed when Jesus comes back and we will stand and we will say, I can't believe you came for me. And he says, I told you I would. Amen. Amen.